Hey, what's up, Blazer fans? Welcome to the Blazer's Edge podcast, part of the Almighty Baller Radio Network. I'm Tara, and joining me, as he does every week, is Dan Morang. How you doing, Dan? Oh, I'm doing stupendous, you know, feeling like quite, quite like having like what feels like an elephant foot attached to you. So it's oh, it's, that's it's, right, the sprained ankle. Yes, I had to I had to throw that out there so everybody can just bask in my suffering just as much as I do. I am the worst like injured sick person you've ever met. I want everybody else to be like just to feel that too. Oh, did you want to know how I'm doing? Thanks for asking, Dan. No, no, I told um, you I'm the worst injured you know, sick person. I want you to feel my pain, okay? Feel it. I have. I've been feeling the pain ever since you twisted your ankle because you've been keeping me regularly updated. And I was hoping to save all the listeners from all of the regular updates about no. your poor no. swollen Every, ankle. Be, everybody take it. And if I ever find you a guy who ran the red light, seconds I, I will ask, hurt you. And, and, and um, you hope Dan has a speedy recovery. Um, thanks for asking how I'm doing. We're in the middle of a three-day break in Blazer Games. And that is the worst thing for me. I should not be stuck. Yeah, it's not even the All Star break. When they have these long breaks, yeah, it's it's really weird. It's not even the All Star break. I and mean, we're like, when I, I remember the game ended the other night, and I looked at the schedule, and I was like, "What the hell is this? All weekend and know, a Monday? Like, all weekend with all weekend with no Blazer games? It was just I. I well, and the other thing, I don't, you know, the whatever it does, you know, to me, making me antsy, not having Blazer games to watch. Because I can always just, you know, rewatch them on the – I've watched the uh, Minnesota one like three times now. But the thing that I, I don't like about it too is it really upsets the rhythm of the team because I feel like they've just started to get in the rhythm. They're the whoa. team that we recognize. Whoa, Debbie Downer. What? Let upset the rhythm of the team. You're already worried about it. Like you're supposed to be the one that's of sitting here. I am. That's- you're supposed to be the one that's supposed to be like, hey, they're riding high. Like, this is the perfect time for them. They've got a few days off. You know, they can rest and they can ride this high and, and, and really push it and close out the, the, the uh, first part of the uh, season into the All-Star break. And I'm supposed to come in and you're like, Psh, you kidding me? These many days off, they're going to lose their rhythm immediately and be done. And they're going to crash and burn. And we're going to wonder what the hell happened. Like, don't you know what this okay, works? Okay, that was an imitation of me. It was not a very good one. What I'm getting at is not only do they have this big break in the middle, but they also have this strange thing where they were down in Dallas, and then I believe they flew home, and now they're going to fly down again to Los Angeles, and it's just got to be upsetting. And remember, at the beginning of the year when they had that big, long home stretch, and I said at some point that I was looking forward to them going on a road because they could establish rhythm, and then I felt like after a couple of those road road stretches, they had started to, you know, their communication was getting stronger. They were, you know, hitting on, they were, they were, you know, their offense was back to what we were more familiar with. And now this weird three-day break, and not only that they have this weird three-day break now, but then, like you said, you know, within a month, they're going to have another big break. And it's just, you think that when you're a highly performing athlete, I know rest is super important, but I also think routine routine is super important. I mean, that's one of the things that we know is that routine is super important and their routines are getting messed with. I think that they're okay with their routines getting messed with right now, because like for the first time, probably in their professional careers, you know, seriously for Zach Collins, um, they're getting extended breaks. Like this wasn't a thing with the old schedule. Moving the schedule back basically two weeks from what it was two years ago, you're you, this is what happens. Um, I, I don't know, like touching on like flying back from Dallas to Portland to fly back to Cali. Personally, um, this time of year in Portland, wouldn't you rather just like stay in Dallas for a few days? Like it's or Los Angeles. Yeah, well, LA nightlife on the weekend. I'm I'm okay with the team not going down there and staying in Los Angeles for a few oh, days. Oh, who's the Debbie Downer now? Yeah, I just hey, you know what? I'm just I'd rather not. I mean, we've, there's a few guys on the team that aren't even old enough to go out and do anything. But uh, even then, I'm still a little hesitant. I mean, well, in Dallas, you can go get some papados, get some fried gator bites. I mean. <laughs> I could, I could. I've never def- been to Dallas, so I don't know. Oh, Dallas is great. I love Dallas. There, there, there's like, there's certain parts of Texas that are like so different from everything else in Texas. Dallas is one of the good ones. I, I hope to go. I want to go to an away game in Texas at some point. But, but anyway, to get back don't to go, our b- 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 No, I'm not going to let you get back yet. Do not go to a game in San Antonio. That arena is awful to watch a game in. I have to get that in there. 
Oh, their their music sounds really loud. It even comes in the, over the TV. It yeah, that, really the, the PA guy's awful, and the seating is just weird and cramped. Like I, I, was, I was stationed in San Antonio, and I went to a bunch of events uh, at the, oh, okay. the SBC Center before it was the AT&T Center, whatever it was. Um, all in all, it sucks. <laughs> I guess I'm sp- spoiled with the Moto Center. Be... No, American Airlines Arena is thought... great. That is a great place to catch a game. I think that would be fun. Yeah. We're going – my husband – and I are flying down to Utah in February to go take in a Blazer Jazz game, which I'm super excited for. I think that's going to be that'll be my first time seeing a game outside the Moda Center, so I can't yes, wait for that. For anybody to, who's looking for now, a, I'm going to get back to the Blazers. No, I, I got to put one more. The plug. nice thing the about Kings. having this break go is they do get the to have practice. <laughs> what? I said, go catch a game at the Kings New Arena. It's beautiful. You're saucy today. I am. Damn right. Um, yeah, no practice <laughs> well, is good, but rest is good this time of the year too. Like there's certainly where Evan Turner had to leave for personal issues. Um, this allows him to have an extended period. Um, Dame's obviously always got little nicks going on. Um, Nurk's a big dude, so there's always and he's oh, that, that guy gets hit in the face more than anybody I've ever seen. He's got cuts all over his arms. I mean, there's all kinds of nicks and knacks and scratches and pulls and tweaks all over the place. So I would not be surprised if Stotts said, "Hey, here's 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 a blackout day or two. Or, you know, two and a half. <laughs> but it still gives them, it gives them a chance to get in there and go over some stuff that, um, have a film you day. know, that I personally like. Because I think they've actually been, I texted you, like, right before, was it right after the Minnesota game where I was like, have they had practice? Because they were playing really well. And they were, they got all those alley-oops and dunks in, which you know how much I love. And those are something you just have to practice, right? Sh- so shut up, they Pat just Conten. go in and spend a day doing that. Um, I don't even know about that. I, I I think if you start trying to tweak, here's here's my whole take on the alley oops and things looking more natural. I, I think a lot of it just comes down to more familiarity and guys being more comfortable with each other. And Dame and CJ have talked about it a lot in the post game interviews over the last couple of weeks. Um, and Dame actually hinted on it specifically in a podcast he, he appeared on last week, where he said that. When the season started, they would they would run plays, and the, the the opponent would know the play and scout the play and take away option one and two. And instead of like having a natural counter, not something that's like that's written into the play, but having a natural counter, like hey, the defense is playing for the the high screen here between Dame and Nurk. Having Nurk have the mindset to say, screw this, I'm slipping the screen screen and ducking in now while the defender's trying to 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 trap early and let Dame break free and see if I can run down the middle. Now you're causing some chaos, and the defense is having to adjust on the fly versus having to adjust to something they've scouted for. And I think they're doing more of that. And that's becoming more and more natural, which is why you're seeing guys like Connaughton get free. Like, mm-hmm. Pat, Pat's out there playing free and loose. Like, <laughs> I'm going to run the break because, hey, maybe CGL tossed me a lob, and boom, reverse alley-oop. Um, th- those are the kind of things that, that happen, I think, when you start getting more comfortable and more familiar with each other. And it's these guys have played together for a couple of years, yeah, but that, that comfort level in a skill set develops throughout the season. It can disappear over the summer. That's why you see teams, you know, grow and fall apart um, year after year because they, you, you get a certain chemistry level that, that comes along with, with being comfortable with one another, if that makes sense. Yeah, and it sounds like you're you're advocating that that is stuff that happens during the game, not so much during uh, practice. practice. Yeah, it's just <laughs> like yeah, it, it, it's it. I think you can build those bonds a little bit in practice, but they they become solidified in games. Like when you see it more and more, because some some guys aren't practice players. That's a real thing in the NBA. I know that maybe comes as a shock to to, to some fans. But well, they're, that's the Cavs thing, isn't it? There, there are guys that just like walk through practice, or there are teams that only have like half hour practices. Uh, D'Antoni mm-hmm. is one of them. D'Antoni, of the Rockets, he's he's notorious for having like half hour, forty five minute practices. Like get in, get after it, get out. Like mm-hmm. you're not building a lot of sense of familiarity and bonds and and comfort level when you're doing that. You're just going at it hard, and then that that those are the players, coaches, in in a, in a so to speak kind of way um, about how different teams, different coaches and organizations go about practice. Well, you've almost convinced me that a three-day break is not going to be detrimental to the team's rhythm and um, routine. God, I'm However, the one being positive. That's let you know what 2018 is, 2018 is a wild year. To have all this time on my hands. 
Because all this time on my hands makes me go down internet rabbit holes that oh, I God, really have so no business fun. going down. Right. So the one I've been that one I've been looking at lately is trying to just figure out whether or not the Blazers' offense is back. You know, just as we were ready to say that the is Blazers' blank offense back, or have the Blazers turned the corner? I see we've reached that. Portion I did not of the say. Season. I very specifically did not say had they done that. I wanted to know if the <laughs> offense is back because when you look at the statistics, which is what I was doing, because the Blazers had too many days off. Here's what I. Here's what's going on um, uh, offensively. So uh, for the whole year, if you look at for the whole year, the Blazers are at number twenty in points per game, one hundred four point six. They're at let that settle 18. in for a second. Basically, one hundred five points a game. Is number twenty in the NBA. Yeah, that's nuts. God, that is worth pausing about. Like you think about like games used to be played in like ninety one to ninety four, like that was the average NBA game. Ten more, fifteen more points a game is a sub- substantial increase, if I can actually say substantial. Um, <laughs> like just for people to kind of have some perspective as far as like how the NBA has evolved. Like and how you consume analytics and stats that are out there, 105. If if you'd taken 105 points per game and, and said you know five years ago, six years ago, seven years ago, that your team was going to average that, you'd take that without even blinking, without you know without the correct context. It's really hard to appreciate what 105 points a game really is when it's unless it's compared against something you know like the Warriors dropping 100. What are they 114, 115 a game? Well, you know what? Blazers are 104.6. There's actually several that are higher at 105. So there's the Phoenix Suns at 104.9. New York Knicks are 105. The Bucks are at 105. The Magic are 105. I mean, yeah, you're you're right. That was an interesting way to look at it. That 104.6 is there's 20 teams that are higher. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to go on. If field goal Proceed. percentage. The field goal percentage is number 18 in the league at 45.5. And that's increased recently because mm-hmm. they, they were. Uh, well, we're going to get to that. They, they right were now bottom I'm talking third. about over the course of the year. I know, but I'm saying they, they were bottom third. So that's, that's, a, that's a better number. I'm just all I'm doing is lending perspective here for for where we're looking at. Yeah, this. well, you're spoil you're it's you're you're spoiling my big reveal. Dun, dun, but, you know, what's the surprise in that? Okay, at three point <laughs> percentage, they are shooting thirty seven point nine, which is actually number three. They have a nice uh, three point That's percentage, um, much much better. They. I looked at fouls drawn. I just was curious to see how things were going there. So they're number 23 in the league at fouls drawn at 19.2 per game. But and if you look at where those, that is, again, that's a, a lot like the points per game. Like if you look at the other teams around that area, like Portland, it just, if they increased one more, they'd be drastically higher. Yeah. That's one more there. They're, there's a big cluster. Yeah. There's a big cluster right there. Like they're not in a bad position. Um, their, their, their number would be higher if Lillard hadn't missed what seven or eight games because he's the guy who who draws more fouls than anybody. I mean, clearly. Mm-hmm. Again, yeah. proceed, ma'am. The, the final one is their offensive rating. Um, they are for the year number fourteen at one hundred five point one. Can you give me a refresher? The difference between what's the difference between offensive rating? I know that's a combination of things versus just points per game. Typically, because there's a couple different variations. The offensive rating was from the NBA, stats.nba.com. Okay, so there's a couple different ones that are out there. That's your most common are stats.nba.com, their proprietary one. Um, There's uh, basketball references and there's ESPNs. Each one has slightly different methodology behind it. For consistency's consistency's sake, not steak, good God, I'm hungry. Um, <laughs> it's that all meat diet you're on, Dan. Yeah, it really is. The you're anti-vegan. You're on the Pat Connaughton, no vegetable all yes, meat diet. Yes, absolutely. And me, me and Pat both have the same bunnies, too. Um, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not talking about eating bunnies. I'm talking about hops. It's so hard. <laughs> it's because of bunnies and your your infatuation with, with the word bunnies. <laughs> okay. For those that don't understand, Tara, Tara is, is confused. She's confused as to why bunnies is both vertical and hops, as well as an easy layup. She has she has bothered me about this for what feels like like eight months. 
She's like, why are these two the same thing? Like, why can you use these? Why could this be used for both? And I'm like, I, I, I don't Bunny's know. Bunny's being layups makes no sense. But back to offensive rating. Oh, no, I think I, we just had to explain why you were snorting. Okay, back to offensive rating. Um, So offensive rating is typically going to reflect the average points that you're going to get per 100 possessions. And being as the Blazers, and well, most of the NBA plays around 100 possessions. Your pace, 100, is going to reflect that. Um, Okay. That's why so they're, they're so is close a, now. T- tends to be a, a, a possession based as opposed to just points per game, which is just really points per game. Okay. So, respect. So, I love that you you're know, trying to steer the ship so well right now. 20 teens for, for the whole year. <laughs> if you look at the last 10 games, which goes back to, I believe, the o- Oklahoma City Thunder game, uh, the last 10 games where they're six and four. Um, they are number six in points per game at 111.1. They are number six in field goal percentage, which is 48.2. They have slipped compared to the rest of the league slightly at three-point percentage. They're now number five instead of number three. But interestingly, the percentage itself has gone up. So everybody is shooting better from three right now in the league, it, it appears. Mm-hmm. Um, they they're drawing, you know, 20 fouls instead of 19.2 and their offensive rating has gone all the way up to 112.9, which is enough for number three in the league. Now I know that the very next thing you're going to say is I'm going to say is the offense back and you're going to go. Yeah. Well, if the offense is back, what happened to the defense? Okay. We're not going to talk about defense today. Mm -hmm. Today we're going to focus on the offense. I want to know why. I mean, Okay, you can talk about it and like, is it just as simple as, well, the Blazers stopped playing defense? Because I would argue they've not stopped playing defense. Why, what is going on with the offense? What has happened that um, has made such a, I think, significant turn for them? Not turning the corner. Shoot, I accidentally said it. Yeah, there it is. What do you think is contributing to this recent production Offensive production by the Trailblazers. All right, so there's a couple things going on with with Portland's offense. The the first thing for me is that yes, they are playing better, but I think there's caveats to all of this, like there is like throughout the entire season. First of all, the Blazers schedule has been a little bit softer. Um, yes, they've had some games against some tougher opponents, but they've also had some games against some really just not good opponents. The Mavericks are a team that can be in games, but they're not a complete team. Uh, Portland's beat them twice in the past what week, ten days, something along those lines, no, less than a week. Um, you've got the Pacers in there, you've got the Suns in there. In between, you've got loss of t- to the Timberwolves at full strength, the Nuggets not at full strength, and you've got a win against the Timberwolves missing their best player. So there's a, there's a weird thing going on here, and I don't want to discount it because I think there are some certain building blocks that you can build off of. Namely, Damian Lillard is playing at MVP-level status. CJ McCollum is playing some of the best ball of the season, and when you've got those two guys rolling, everything else is just pretty much gravy. And when you get more contributions from um, Noah Vonley, or Noah Vonley, uh, I'm sitting here looking at a stat from Noah Vonley, which is why he popped yeah. into my head, not <laughs> Noah Vonley. Um, well, when Noah Vonley is getting on the floor, Portland's either doing things really well or really bad. So uh, the fact that we've seen him <laughs> a little bit more recently is probably a good thing um, because Portland's been able to, to actually get guys uh, in garbage time with a win. Um, but Guys behind CJ and Dame, like you probably it, meant more like Aminu and Davis, yes, and Collinson and Napier, <laughs> exactly. Uh, but Portland's best lineups, um, or two man lineups in, in January, um, that have been the best one, two, and three are uh, Baz and CJ, or Baz and Dame, Baz and CJ, uh, Dame, CJ, and Baz. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the three guard lineup that, that you've fallen in love with has been, I think, a big part of it, and that's just a, the ability. That's just putting more um, offensive players on the floor, more guys that can do more than one or two things. So with that happening, you're getting less siloed players put in positions where um, they they can't excel. And I think Portland has done the best up until this point of putting players up and down the lineup in the best positions to succeed. When you back that up or complement that with the best play of the season from Dame and CJ, yeah, the offense is going to look damn good. 
I have two other things that I'm curious about. And then I, we also got a really great question from some listeners. So I want to, I'll start with mine and then you can uh, tell me whether or not I'm totally off base on these things. And then we can roll into the listener question. The first thing that I've noticed that I'm wondering if I'm uh, seeing correctly, or if you also see it is the beginning of the year, we talked a lot about spacing and like the paint being super clogged up and people not uh, guarding, not, respecting Aminu's three-point shot mm-hmm. and there just being too many people so for people to get through there and get the too ball in the bucket. Do you see better spacing? Turners. Yeah, I mean, you were, look at what Portland's been doing recently. Who's been seeing the floor more? Shabazz Napier, Pat Connaughton. Those guys are out on... Hell, even Zach Collins. Like, the, his, the fact that he's out there and Dame CJ, whoever passes him the ball to the corner and the defender doesn't look at him and go, that's cute. They at least go, I should probably run at him. That alone just shifts the defense enough more so than having somebody like Harkless or Turner out in the corner. I mean, again, I don't want it to be unfair to throw shots at those guys. They're just not natural floor spacers. So when you're putting Pat and Napier and playing a little bit smaller. Um, you're, you've got Aminu who's now holding it basically 40% from three for the season. He dropped a little below. He's come back and he's been as high as like 48 for long stretches. Um, that's a big time impact. Uh, CJ coming back to form of the three point line and Dame just being absolute fire from there lately is, has definitely played a part of that too. Um, when those guys get rolling that well from the outside, you, you, you're in trouble as an opponent because now all the other pages of the playbook start making a lot more sense. And really, the, the, I think the bottom line is, and this is something we've obviously talked about Blazers Edge a lot over the last, I don't know, probably a year or so, is that if you can't hit the three, you're not going to be on the floor uh, unless you're you know, a guy like Ed Davis who brings other things every single night or Yusuf Nurkic. Otherwise, yeah, you're not going to be out there, which is why um, Noah Vonley and Maurice Harkless are, have been in minutes purgatory. Right, because they're just not hitting enough. They're not. They, they just okay, they're well, negative floor spacers, and there's just no there's no room in the rotation for any more of those guys. So it sounds so you're thinking that the rotations that are now that they're now seeing on the floor are being respected by the opponent because we've got more reliable three point shooters in there right now. Like yeah. they've figured out shooting and the it, ability you know, who's to do be more able to do than it. just shoot. Like, Pat okay. Connaughton can do more than just shoot. Shabazz Napier can do more than just shoot. Alfred Camino is even, to his detriment of a few times over the last couple of weeks, can do more than shoot. But he's he's been able to close out and do some things off of that have been um, surprising and welcome as opposed to a uh, complete disaster that we saw over the last couple of years. So that, that's been a, a fun development, too. Well, in, in addition to Aminu doing things that actually look like part of, you know, planned yeah. plays, yeah. <laughs> as opposed to he got stuck with a ball and now he's got to move it up the court because, Late you know, like Aminu is not him. something I wish upon my, my, my worst enemy. Right. But we're seeing, we're, we're seeing him, you know, making, he's, I've seen him cut a couple of times. I've seen him pass mm-hmm. to people on cuts and I've also seen somebody else contribute more to the offense that besides just put back, um, put back dunks. Ed, I think they've given him a few more specific plays to, to put in. He's getting more assists right now. Yeah, now the play is called came, uh, dunk. You, you hit uh, <laughs> right trigger and X on the controller when he's near the rim. And then he goes left-handed and dunks. No, but what I mean is Ed himself is creating offense for others. So if you look at his, um, in his last 10 game and eight of the last 10 games, he's at least had an assist. So I'm not saying he's like point guard, Ed Davis. I'm just saying they are now, they are now adding a play where Ed Davis is on purpose, passing the ball to somebody else to complete the play. Whereas as opposed to him standing by the rim and just putting it back in. So eight of the last 10 games, he's had at least one assist. So he's had 12 assists in the last 10 games. He's had 25 assists this entire year and 12 of them had been in the last 10 games. And I think that's on purpose. I don't think that's just like, you know, suddenly he decided to do something. I think that's something that the, the, the offense has introduced. I mean, do you think that this is a time of year where they do start introducing things or do you think that's just Ed operating on his own going, Hey, I'm going to try this. I think it's a little bit, probably more so towards Ed just doing a a thing or two more. Um, Uh I think 
what's been shocking for a lot of people is it's almost been like another revelation for Ed Davis. People are like, oh my God, this Ed Davis has been great. You know, uh, wish we had this guy. I'm like, we've had this guy. He was just hurt all season. Year. Yeah, he was just hurt all season last year. So Ed is doing exactly what Ed Davis did two years ago. Like that's this is this is who he is. This is what he does, and this is why I think he's going to be really really valuable for you know over the next two weeks during the trade deadline. Um, I think a lot mm-hmm. of people are going to come calling, and he's he's showing out like he's he's building the resume. Like if you look at the box score, you're like seven and seven. That doesn't look you know that great. Blah blah. blah. I'm like he's a backup big who literally doesn't have a play called for him, right? <laughs> and and he delivers every night. Like there are very, very, very few guys. I put him and Taj Gibson in kind of like the same spot. Taj is a little mm-hmm. bit more skilled, obviously, but they're guys that you want on your team because every night they show up. They're gonna play defense. They're gonna be um, active. They're gonna bring you toughness. They're gonna rebound. They're gonna generate their own points. They're gonna do all those things every single night. Those guys are never going to be a net negative on your team. And if they are, your team is having a god awful night. You know, right. it's, it's well, just I, what it is. Like the the only thing those guys do is do good things for your team. Right. I think Taj Gibson. As much as I love it, I think right now Taj has a little bit broader skill set. But I think clearly, they, but the production and what they do and how they operate. Like right. Minnesota's not running play. Well, they they may run a, a high post action because Taj is a better passer. But this is just for you know comparison's sake. But. But yeah, right. what you know, Ed speaking, has done has been phenomenal. Speaking of production, I've noticed this over the last couple of weeks as I've been trying to embrace the uh, the chaos that is uh, Nurkic now. I've, I've completely embraced the Aminu chaos, but now I'm turning myself to try to just accept Nurkic for what he is. He's a seven-foot person who prefers to lay it in rather than dunk. I like we to picture him as like, awesome. like a drunk grizzly bear at a circus. <laughs> like it's the well, only way I can explain like some of his some of his moves when he goes to the rim. I'm like, what were you doing there? And then the, yeah, you, you, just you see him other times, and it's 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 like I, I go the other way here. Like again, drunk, like drunken master. Like it it was it was all part of the master plan. Like you you see him, he's just out of control or off balance, and then all of a sudden, like everything, his back straightens out, his arm goes loose, and. You know, it's this glorious finger roll that somehow finds its way in. You're like, how on earth did you go from that that awkward position you were just in into finishing that gloriously? It's it's very very Dirk Nowitzki ish, where everything is just this, just like what looks like a broken catapult until the very end, and you're like, oh my god, it's glorious. And then you get, then you get mesmerized by it, and you're like, please do that more. And then you want that 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 drunken catapult to dunk. And then you just the observation that I wanted to make about that is like, I'll, I'll watch a game and I'll watch guys like Ed Davis and Aminu and they'll, they'll, they'll play, they'll do some really wonderful things where you just think, Oh my God, they're having an amazing game. And then you look at their stats at the end of the night and they had like seven points or nine points and 10 rebounds or whatever. And then I'll watch Nurkic and I'll just be like, you know, throwing things and banging my head and just like ah, the whole time. And then I look and he's got 20 points to 12 rebounds. And I'm like, Oh, that was <laughs> like, the most painful wait. 20 points I've ever seen. And, and I think but part I'll of the frustration it. is because you see how much talent is there. Like you, you realize like, dude, this guy is just supremely talented. And if he was mm-hmm. checked in at all points in time and was clearly Locked in on all facets, you'd be like, oh, okay. But I think a locked-in Nurkic is different than an angry Nurkic. Like, locked-in Nurkic oh. wouldn't, wouldn't make, wouldn't be as good because I think that emotion, that volatility is part of what makes him good. It, it carries him up high with two it, it takes hands him up with higher. the ball and slams it yeah. into the net as it, opposed to flipping exactly. it up and over his head. It really does because I think, <laughs> I think if you had, like, the ro- – like. I don't want to again take shots at, at at Jokic in Denver here, but Jokic is like as vanilla as it gets on the court. Like I mean, you just you just look at him like he's he's the most smooth body guy you've seen in the league. Like he he looks like a seven foot YMCA player. Like he's supremely talented, but there's nothing about him where you're like, oh, I like his character or uh, his emotion or the entertainment value that he brings outside of the basketball stuff. Like mm-hmm. I, I think Jokic is a better player than Nurkic, or a, a more skilled player, clearly. But I think the right. the, the emotion and the the theater that Nurkic brings mm-hmm. is 
overall a good thing. Now, it can be a pain in the ass. There's no doubt about that. But I think in the long run, I think that that's, that's a good thing to have. Well, you know what I was just telling my husband I really appreciate about Nurkic is his two-handed rebounds and going up with two hands. He I I always I trust him when he goes up there that he's going to corral that rebound because he goes up with two hands and boy do I two appreciate that after claws. after a year of last year screaming at the TV rebounds. about two hands. Yeah. Okay, I want to get to uh, a question that we got from some listeners and and uh, it's about offense. And wondering what you think. So this is from Sean Palumbo. Thank you so much for writing, Sean. He wrote in, or he or she, I'm not sure. It's a very, um, it's a very long in, and detailed question. Yeah, it's, it's a wonderful question that came in through Facebook, and we super appreciate it. And anybody who wants to give us questions, we would love to address them. But let me read it to you. It seems like whenever the Blazers are doing good offensively, it's a result of good ball movement. So why aren't they always trying to apply good ball movement during their games? Is it a result of good defense from the opposing team, or does it have something to do with the Blazers? So, so do you want to break that down into a few different pieces? Yeah, I'm going to warm, warm up the, the hot takes here. All right. Oh, boy. So. He, you never um, get this excited when I ask you a question. Th- this is one of those questions I've, I've kind of been beating the drum on for, for a while now. Um, there's different kinds of ball movement um, up and down the NBA. There's teams that move the ball just for the sake of moving the ball. Like Philadelphia is one of those teams. Philadelphia mm-hmm. moves a ball a ton. But do you associate their offense with the Golden State Warriors? No. Mm-mm. Nobody does. Moving the ball without purpose is just stupid. Uh, I'll just, I'll just flat out say it. So <laughs> for, for anybody out there who says... In your opinion. Who, anybody out there who says that moving the ball, the Blazers need to move the ball more, it doesn't make sense. Taking the ball out of the hands of your best players who work the best with the ball in their hand is a bad idea. Now, the reason why the offense looks better is something that we talked about just a few minutes ago, and that the Blazers are putting each other in better, better positions to succeed. Evan Turner or Maurice Harkless or any other non-shooter, Yusuf Nurkic, catching the ball in the corner at the three-point line is not conducive to the Blazers' offense. The defense is not going to adjust. You're wasting the shot clock. You're not gaining so anything by doing that. you don't look at that, that and think good ball movement. You, no. you look at that and see, well, there's the end of a possession. Yeah, exactly. Oh, hey, look, Evan Turner's in the corner on the baseline with, you know, uh, seven seconds left on the shot clock. If he doesn't make a move now or get a pass to the outside, this is going to be a really crappy possession. Like, that's just, that's just the nature of it. Like, sure, can they <laughs> find a way to make it out? And has Harkless shot better and has Turner shot better recently on their 1-3 a game? Yes, certainly. But it's about putting these guys in the best possible position to succeed. And if you look over the last 10 games, this is something we were talking about before we hopped on the air, Portland's offense has been playing better. I think we would all agree with that, right? <laughs> the funny thing is, is Portland's passing the ball less. It's, it's, it's only 10 passes per game less. But it just kind of highlights the point that just moving the ball does not ensure that the Blazers are playing better offense. The assists are actually up, even though they're passing it less, which means their assist percentage is actually higher. It means they're, they're getting in better position and they're knocking down shots. This comes with C.J. McCollum finishing better, Damon C.J. knocking down more threes, Pat Connaughton finishing at the rim, uh, Napier finishing shots, uh, uh, Aminu knocking down shots again. The offense looks a lot better when Portland knocks down shots. That's when it looks better. And I know that sounds really simple, but when guys pass up shots they should be taking, which... It wasn't prevalent, but it was there for long stretches. In those during those periods when Portland was losing, if you go back and look at how many threes they took and made, they were it was abysmally low. Uh, I can't remember who was saying. It. I think it was Jason Quick the other night said that on the team bus that um, oh Terry Stotts got on. Yeah, well he said, "Gay guys, we need to take more threes. And Dame and CJ kind of both both put their hands up like, "Hey, I'll, I'll take more." <laughs> like they volunteered to take more because that being, that's what they do. And when those guys are taking and making threes, it opens up every other page in the playbook. And that's fundamentally so, what it comes down to. So let me summarize. I think what you're trying to point out is that it's not necessarily that the Blazers are, um, when they're looking good, necessarily doing more ball movement. They're doing movement. Yes. 
they're passing the same amount, but it looks better because it's more effective, and they're yeah. making the the right ones, and they're ending up with shots that are made. Yes, uh, Nurkic catching on the roll versus uh, Nurkic posting up. Don't get me wrong. I want to see Nurkic improve his post game, but where he's most effective and, and most useful is, is is as the roll man. And when he's catching on the roll, he's got a couple different options. He could continue to attack, which opponents want to take away. Um, and when they do that, that opens up people on the other side of the, of, the, of the play. And he can create off that and make that extra pass. And those are the opportunities where you get the defense off balance. And they're up, they're, they, the defense is a pass behind. And they're okay. constantly making not just one, but two, but three or four rotations. At that point in time, you've got them exactly where you want them. And you're, you're, you're getting the shot you want to get. And more often than not, it's going to end up in the hands of a shooter. And that's that in the long run is what has made Portland better now is that they're they're It's about prime opportunity and maximizing those chances. I, I know, I know how simple that sounds and people want to say, well, they just need to, to, to pass them more to get guys in better positions. No, you don't. You need to find your mismatches and you need to find your advantages and you need to press them at every opportunity. And Portland has done that by getting more shooters on the floor to open up the defense to allow Damon CJ to get in the lane and create havoc. That's that's the bottom line. Is this offense is entirely driven by those two guys, and when you have the supporting actors that can do more than one or two things, and they're doing them, the offense is going to look great. I mean, like we said, over the last ten games, they have the third highest offensive rating. That is the offense mm-hmm. that we're used to seeing. It's not some like big time change. It's hey, Portland's hitting down hitting shots. Look how glorious it is. And that's a combination of of them creating their own shots as well as smarter ball movement. Correct. With uh, with better endpoints. And if you if you <laughs> want if you want to go shooters a, at the end exactly, the and if you want to go a little bit deeper, this kind of goes back to the familiarity that we were talking about. This the, the 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 simplest way to point this out is that before the season started, that there was a little thing that kind of came out that I don't think a lot of people heard. Nurkic didn't even know the entire playbook yet. So he had 20 games here in an entire summer and didn't know the entire playbook yet, which is a little worrisome to me. But the Dame said post game a few nights ago that hey, the, you know he's on board. Um, the guys are, are are more familiar with the playbook, and instead of just adjusting to what's written down on the paper, guys are making their own natural adjustments. Yusuf Nurkic um, is coming up to set a pick, and the defense knows the 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 what Portland is trying to go for here. So the, the bigger or, or center who's on Nurkic comes up to hedge and take away the, the pick and roll and the drive action from Damian Lillard. Well, Nurkic sees that a step early and opts to, to slip the pick. Now the defense mm. is trying to recover. And as the defense is trying to recover, that natural reaction by Nurkic, by building up the familiarity and looking at and knowing what the defense is trying to take away now the defense, the weak side defender steps in a little bit. Well, the weak side defender is on a guy who's a shooter now in Shabazz Napier. So now Dane turns the corner the other way and goes to Napier on the short side of the floor who's got a wide-open shot, or it's a skip pass to Nurkic running down the lane uncontested. Those so little changes are, are, are what are appearing and being more effective, in my opinion, right now. I mean, yeah, well, when you were talking about the slipping, I mean, it seems like you can only slip once you're confident about what to not do. <laughs> yes, I mean, you're like, establishing your rhythm. And instead of instead yeah. of curling off a down pick, you you come up higher because you see the defense is sagging in knowing they want to take away that, that elbow jumper that CJ likes to take, you know, right around the free throw line. When he comes up off that down screen, CJ strings it out a little bit a little bit higher and the defense gets caught behind that. Now he's got a wide open three to step into. Those are all little things. Uh, uh, Pat Connaughton, he ran a, a, a play, a, a uh, elevator play, elevator action, which well, the Warriors are famous for doing when you've got the, the two mm-hmm. picks um, at the free throw line where he came up and curled like he was going to shoot the three. Well, he came up and, and instead they initiated a dribble handoff and then cut back down the middle for an uncontested dunk because the defense got caught behind the screens again. Just Those are mm-hmm. just natural adjustments that I love elevator. Can I just say, interject how much I love elevator because I can actually see that one happening. Yeah, that is one that the funny thing is, you can like what it says yeah. it is. It's not like it looks like, like zipper those doors or pistol. are closing, and yeah. you got stuck behind it. Yeah, and, <laughs> and you stick your little arm out, and it doesn't help. Portland runs a, a, a little bit different variation of it, but it's the same basic principle. But I, it's that play is is wonderful to me because 
I look at it and I'm like, you can see it coming a mile away. You know it's coming and there's nothing you can do about it. I mean, there is something right. you can do about it, but ultimately if it's going to, it's going to turn into a good shot opportunity if you don't basically play it perfectly. So, so smart. So good ball movement is all about smart move ball movement. And that's entirely up to the blazers. Exactly. Doing the right thing. It, it, checking on, on I, right I don't thing. think they're running their offense any differently other than taking and making more threes. And that's, that alone is just them putting themselves in position to succeed and adjusting the lineups and rotations that everybody seems to lament Terry Stotts for uh, recently, which makes absolutely no sense to me, but Hey, hate who you got to hate. Right now at great risk of prolonging this longer, but I'm super curious now, what's the relationship between pick and rolls and ball movement? Um, it depends on how you run the pick and roll. Like there, there are times when the pick and roll itself is a decoy. You're, you're trying to get action going on the other side. There are teams that don't run a ton of action on the other side of a pick and roll. Portland is one of those teams from time to time. They, they, while they l- typically lead the league in the last couple of years, they've led the league in uh, off-ball movement or in screens off-ball. They don't move a ton off of um, the pick-and-roll action. Um, so, again, it's about putting guys in the best position to, to succeed. Um, when you're getting the pick-and-roll, Portland I, wants two things to happen. They either want Dame or CJ to get a good shot or they want Yusuf Nurkic to get a good shot. The, the the option C tier typically is, hey, let's get one of our shooters and open three with all of the action we have going here. And that, to me, is when you'll see more of the wing pick and rolls versus the straight down the middle pick and rolls. It, it seems to me that the uh, pick and roll, like what what's the role of the people who are not involved in pick and roll? Is their job to be decoys then? It, like it depends on what, involved in pick and roll. Yeah. It, it all depends on, on what the matchup is. Like if, if some, if the pick and roll is with Nurkic and they're trying to pull the big out, Nurk's going to stay a little bit higher and that's going to leave room for um, somebody to go on the back cut on the backside of the play. Um, the, the pick and roll could be itself as a decoy and CJ could be working off a, uh, a down pick on the other side. Um, Alfred Camino's role may be to be the, the, the strong side floor spacer on the other side. He could be the weak side or the corner uh, floor spacer. It, it all depends so on what the scenario or is. Thing. Yeah. It, so they're constantly they adjusting and, 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 and changing the angles to keep the defense off balance. So you can't just take it away every single time with uh, a hard trap or, uh, um, sagging off or, the weak side help always coming from the same side. You want to make the defense, even though they've scouted you to death, you want to change the wrinkles. You want to change every little thing you can to, to hide what you're trying to do. And for just like the, the basic idea, just because you know what's coming doesn't mean you can stop it. That's, that's what makes NBA players <laughs> special. Like you get CJ. Cause they're a, so skilled. They yeah, can do it anyway. And they, they, you can take everything you want to away and Dame can he'll still go step back mm-hmm. from 25 feet and whap it in your face. And, right. they, and now, you, now you're also worried you can about see that. These guys drive into the hoop and taking the dump anyway, even though you're playing as good a defense yeah. as you possibly can. They can still get up and over you. And when you do those plays and when you make those plays, that's why I love Pat Connaughton dunking as often as possible. Those plays give a defense pause and they, they elevate your, your current level. And that's why I think those those plays are huge. And that's it's not a coincidence that those plays have become more frequent as Portland's offense has gotten better. Mm-hmm. We'll talk next week about what's happening with the defense, maybe. Yeah, no, we can. We can this talk, yeah, no, I, I, this is why I said that I, I was pretty comfortable that Portland would finish right inside the top 15. I said, what, what did I say a couple weeks ago? I want to say it was like a month ago. I said 13th or 14th is what they would probably finish. I didn't think they'd finish it in the top ten, and I think this is why. In I, offense or in, no defense? Uh, in the oh, in defense. Okay. Yeah, I think I said it was thirteenth or fourteenth. That sounds right. about right, isn't it? I'm normally um, really, I'm normally really yes. good about this, but I think that's where I was. But yeah, I, I, think, I, I, I figured I, the offense would come around and the defense would slowly fall back because I, I think that's mm-hmm. a that's a natural thing. Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, the thing is, is we've seen the good defense and I still don't feel like it's regressed back they, to they what can it go looked to like it. last year. That's, that's the thing is in the past, they didn't have the mentality they could win a possession. 
Dallas mm-hmm. was a perfect yeah. example of that. Dallas started to make a little bit of a run. They're like, nah, nah, screw this. And then they, they locked him up for a period yeah. and, and they just ran, yeah. and they ran him out of the gym. That's the kind of yeah. team that should, that, that should win those games. That's what separates them what from like have- fighting for that eighth seed and fighting for that fifth seed. Well, and when you have a high enough powered offense that you can win based on the number of points, mm-hmm. you know, if that's your natural inclination, you don't of, have to win every defensive way to battle. Play, you just have to be able to right, win the ones that matter. You don't have to like hold every team to 80 points no. to be a good defense. You have to, you have to know, like you said, you know, know when to stop it. Um, but speaking of when to stop it, we should probably move on. Uh, this is really satisfied a lot of my basketball, uh, uh, talk that has not, you know, the the three day break has, um, deprived me of putting it in your veins, Um, tapping it up. Yes. (laughs) I I literally like started talking to somebody in line next to me at the grocery store about the Blazers because like they, I I had to get this off my chest too. Speaking of talking to people in line, I, I don't want to cut you off, but I, 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 th- this cannot stand. I went to the U of P Gonzaga game, and I had on one of my Blazers hoodies. One of you uh-huh. 20-something hipsters said, hey, man, go Zers. Stop oh. calling them Zers, you lazy hipsters. For the oh. love of God. Portland, yeah, Rip City, issue. Blazers. Zers is not a thing. We are, we are not Gonzaga. We don't go Zags or Zers. We don't Zag. We don't Zig. We don't Zer. Knock it off. Get so off my lawn. All I would say to that is, is that um, I agree that is not my preferred nickname for the Blazers. But you know what? There's a next generation coming up behind us, Dan. And if we had to choose between them not wanting to even watch the Blazers at all. Then don't and watch them, them the, you Zer-loving <laughs> fools. You are so wrong. We want to continue a strong tradition of I, I blazer lovers in this town. And if monument. that means they are calling it something that we're not fond of, think about all those people in um, Washington Good. who completely Good. changed the them. name of their team. And they got used to it. No. They'll call them the Wizards now. No. They no. don't have to like it, but they still have a team. No. Yeah, Kelly still called Kelly O'Coin <laughs> still called them the Bullets the other day. So we're so right, that's, well, that's we're, we're going to agree to disagree no, on we're gonna, this. I'm going to build a monument. Here lies the Portland Trailblazers where they died. This is this is where the Zers play now. It's not the same team. Ugh. Wow, you got a nasty taste in your mouth out of that one. Well, from there, let's move on to Freaking talking about victims. referees. You're on a favorite. Yeah. All <laughs> oh, right. Got me warmed up for this one. Okay, so we needed to cover this briefly. We're not going to oh, go into it. Me and referees the, briefly. Um, yeah, uh, this will go over well. The NBA announced they, they're having initiative designed to address the on-court working relationship d- between the NBA players and referees. This is There was an official release that's on NBA.com that you can go and you can read all about what they are agreeing to do. But basically, the, um, the league is going to work with teams and they have a five point plan. And so here are their uh, things that they're going to, that they're going to, that they're pledging to do. So the uh, Michelle Johnson, who is the, uh, she's the head of referee options. So Michelle Johnson and Monty McCutcheon um, is the NBA vice president and head of referee development. So these two and their staffs are going to conduct meetings individually with all 30 teams to discuss rule interpretations, on-court conduct, and expectations of NBA referees. So each team is going to get a meeting with these executives to discuss those things. The league is going to reemphasize the respect of the game rules with referees, coaches, and players to ensure consistent enforcement of these violations. The NBA referee options operations department is going to expand its overall rules education initiative for coaches, player and team personnel. We have two more points, Dan Johnson and McCutcheon are going to conduct enhanced training for the referees on conflict resolution. That's cute. And, Finally, through the NBA's officiating advisory council, the league is going to create opportunities for engagement with all key stakeholders. So they're going to have a bunch of meetings later. And that's uh, supposed to start at the all-star break. So from the funny noises that you were making while I was reading this, I'm getting the uh, idea that you don't think this is going to make any difference at all. Yeah, no. This is not going to make. You don't any think difference it's going to make the, the the only thing, and I, I just to make sure this is on record, I'm fairly certain I've said it before. Just probably, 
Um, the only thing that is going to change anything is if they tear the entire ref institution down. That's the only thing that will work because these guys have all been trained the same way for the, and they've operated the same, same style forever. Like the entire modern era, that basically the Stern era, the David Stern era as commissioner, that refs are going to conduct themselves and operate this way. This is nothing new that refs in play. Like people are like pointed out. Okay, now the Courtney Kirkland, Sean Livingston thing. That's that's something a little bit new. I'll, I'll agree with that. But stars getting teed up and tossed out. That's that happened it, and has happened in the past quite a bit, folks. Like, so how are you going to do this? Are you going to do it during an off season and suddenly the yeah. league is going to start up again some October and everything's going to be better? No, how it's going to be that, awful. That it, no, it's going to be awful. It, it, it's absolutely going to be awful, but you have no, but got so you're going to gonna tear everything down. Yes. And t- tear and down the entire institution. Yeah. And you, what well, you you start doing is you start ramping up. Now you start building up, you start, you build new initiatives to, to train new refs. Like this entire generation of referees that's currently in the NBA right now is atrocious. There's, there's, there's three refs on a given night that I can tell you night in night out are going to be good. That's a problem. You think only three of the 64 refs currently employed are good? Consistently above average, yes. Good. The, 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 the fluctuation between how they will call a game, and it's not just the teams, it's the refs, like, it is, is just so rampantly wild. And Vegas reflects that. Like They have profiles on every referee. They, they know that mm-hmm. referee X... And referee Y working together is going to lead to at, typically more fouls for the away team or the home team. Like these things are all out there. And I think that that's a major problem. I think that the referees thinking that they are a part of the game is a major problem. I should not know the vast majority of the referees' names. That shouldn't be a thing. I shouldn't know you're out there. Yet when I see your name on the bottom of the, of the, uh, the Chiron, before the game, I'm sitting there going, you've got to be kidding me. This crew? Now, granted, I look at it when it first po- gets posted in the morning, and like, I'm miserable about it all, all day, um, more often than not, because most of the referees are, are just awful. Um, people will say, oh, they're the best in the world at That's what they a, do. Wait, hold on a sec. That's a super blanket statement. Yeah, I you think just, they're you bad. Think they're I, think they're very, I think they're very bad at what they do. I think they're very bad at what they do. I think that the, wow. the, 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 and you think the that people could problem. be trained better. Yes. Get people whose job it is to be an official. None of these guys are full-time officials. They have other jobs. That's a problem. I want to learn I, more about that. Like, why do we have guys None who are of- lawyers who work as a, as referees? And the, the idea is that they, they can't be corrupted financially. They, they're financially stable. Here's a crazy idea. Pay them an exorbitant amount of money to referee at the highest level in the world. Like, like it's not like the NBA is short this money. But they'll never do that because screwing with the status quo is way, way too big of a problem. And it admits that there's an issue. Well, here's the thing. I don't think that you can tear the whole thing down unless you have buy-in from people to build it back up together. Because if one side of this just tears the whole thing down and builds it builds it back up again without having buy-in from all I think it's of better the parties, for the officials. It's not gonna work. But this is this is a step forward to get all of the parties involved. Like if they were just to if if the players and the I teams think this is all were just to stuff. sit there and complain in their little silos and the refs were gonna be over here and they're gonna play, complain in their silos and somebody decides they're gonna tear the whole thing down and builds it back up without creating some sort of consensus between the groups before the new plan is in place. It's never going to work. I think this is a step that they have to take. I, I think this is this is all optics. They, they they have to make it look like they're doing something because Kevin Durant has been tossed from more games this season than in his, in his entire career. It, I don't, it, I don't everybody think it's act- all optics. I think you have to you have to engage <sighs> engage people if change is going to come. They One do person this, can't though. just change up they, a they, whole bunch of new rules. They do engage. They, they engage all season long. Hmm. They they but do it before the season. They not- do it after the season. No, you've got. You've got a couple refs who I think have seriously crossed the line. Like Courtney Kirkland not officiating a game for the rest of the season would have been perfectly fine with me with for his conduct with Sean Livingston. Like getting in Sean Livingston's face as a referee and instigating and basically headbutting him. Like I, I don't think he should be officiating a single game in the NBA this year after that incident. That's 
unbelievably awful. Like the, the, that, that level of stupidity is ridiculous and should never, ever be allowed to be conducted as an official. Ever. That, that, so, like, if you want to talk about that instance in, in particular, that's fine. But these players are acting big and bigger fools Dan, I don't want to talk about that instance because you can pick out individual instances over and over and over again and say, see, that's what's wrong with the referees. See, that's no, wrong I'm, with the referees. I'm saying the, I'm saying the players the only, right no, now, too. No, stop, 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 stop. The only way that you're going to build this back up again is if you have the buy-in from all parties and if all there the parties are working through it together. There won't be any buy-in. There's, there's, there, and this is again. This well, is why. Well, there's I, definitely not going to be any buy-in if, if. This is why I say you have to break it down. That makes all the decision. There's, there's no trust. There, there, there there's no trust. You can't just make trust. Well, how trust. are you going to have trust if you're not going to make your? If you're not going to, I mean, I, because the changes I, I don't happen. happen they, multiple, they, they talk uh, about these things all the time. On multiple fronts. It can't just happen on one front. And one front is this slow and deliberate building of consensus through people having meetings and have sitting through and you know hearing each other out and all that stuff that you don't like because you want to rush out there and do something well all these people are laying the groundwork so that when that thing does happen there's buy-in you can't just you're acting like this is the first time they've ever done this they've done this time and time and time again i've seen this record before because it doesn't work done exactly gonna be because there's no but there's (laughs) There's always going to be a natural inclination for these two groups to butt heads. That's like the, the you know how you it. get rid of so that. It's never you get done. rid of They're the issue. Always going to have to keep doing this. You get rid of no. You get rid of the fundamental issues that are causing these problems, and that's because of how the referees referee games right now. That okay, needs I'm to not, change. I'm not disagreeing that there will need to be systemic changes, but you can't just make wholesale changes without understanding and building that, um, but building you can. that consensus there, amongst all the parties. That, there's hundreds uh, that, of people that, that want to be professional referees. Get rid of the yeah. institution that is there. What, like, what do you have to lose? There there is nothing for the NBA to lose other than some short-term credibility for getting rid of the old style of how NBA games are called. But why shouldn't they right now, until that plan is in place, be trying to meet and work through things? They can try it all they want, but they've done this before and it doesn't work. Now, when they do rebuild the whole thing, they'll have the relationship in place and they'll trust each other more. You can't build a relationship you can't build trust. You can't do any of that stuff when these two groups basically hate each other. There's, there's a reason why every single year the same four or five officials who were the senior officials, which is kind of my point, are the most hated and, and, and least trusted in the league. It's, it's not because they've been there or that they're the most visible. It's because they have the most contentious calls. It's because they have the worst interactions with players. And no, don't get me wrong. The, the players this year have acted serious fools, and they they deserve to get ta- like KD's getting getting run deserved to happen. Steph getting run deserves to happen. Draymond acting stupid getting run deserves to happen. Like, the, granted, these are all the lawyers, but they they act like petulant children sometimes, and it's ridiculous. Um, there's been a, there's been very few ejections where I was like, yeah, I know that shouldn't have happened. Like, the players are out of control. But the reason they're out of control is the way that referees are handling situations, the way that the inconsistencies in the call. And there's no amount of sitting down and talking that's going to change how they call the game. And that's my biggest point. You can sit down all you want. They've done this year after year after year. It seems like they're doing it more and more and more, and it's getting worse and worse and worse because each side digs in a little bit harder each time. It's the the exact opposite of what you're proposing to happen actually happens and that to me is the biggest problem and that's why i keep hammering the point that you've got to tear down how the referees are trained how they're educated how they're the they're taught to or how they they actually execute in-game officiating what to look for how to look for it how to call a game how to interact with players everything because it's 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 not working on a consistent basis. You it, the fact that we can point to exact instances in time where officiating has been so bad that that people are sitting here talking about how it ruined an entire game or an entire series, that's a problem. 
You would think it was something that saying, the NBA Dan, would, would want I'm to address. I'm just saying they're not going to build it up if they don't try to make the effort to build the relationship so that they everybody can build it back up together. So that it's not just one group saying this is how we're going to do it. It's it's just not going to work. They could build the whole thing up again and it could just break all over again. And it it probably will anyway because I mean that's the nature of these, these two it. groups are continually in conflict <laughs> but we're not in conflict are we dan no we just we just disagree on this i i'm i'm just vehemently stubborn on this because i i don't think there's that there's any, I, I am utterly convinced that there is no other way to fix this other than to, to burn it to the ground i I've, I've, just, I've, I've held this position for like three years i just that I'm, you can't I'm done just it. burn it all down without having something in place to build it back up and it sounds to me <laughs> it's, it's almost like you didn't have an argument for that Dan okay anyway hey uh, thank you to um, Sean for writing in with that question yes it was a good the, question earlier today and uh, did you get a chance to start an email account for us or are we going to come up with one so if people want to uh, send in more questions I, I personally need, like those nice long questions that come yes, up with I, lots of I detail. needed to confirm it I didn't confirm it yet I'll have it ready for the okay, next okay well one. we'll do that you know it's okay we'll, we'll do it when we get a chance so because I would love to hear more from uh, listeners and what they're, what's on their mind and, you know, things that they, that they want to know more about. Uh, I think this would be a really great time right now to announce that the uh, Blazers Edge Night has <laughs> sold uh, or has collected enough tickets to send the, um, the kids and students who've requested tickets to Blazers Edge Night. 2,289 so of them. I think it's a record. Yes, it is a record. Uh, I, 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 I believe they I, said I, it was a record. Yes, I confirmed with, with Dave when we talked the other day when he had made the announcement. That's fabulous. It is indeed so, a record. Yeah. Which means Thank we'll, you we'll be doing more next year. Thank you to listeners and supporters who contributed. Um, and if you don't already have tickets to that game and want to come to that game, no. it's going to be, what is it, 27th yes, of February? Yes, February 27th. It's going to be awesome. Hopefully we'll get a really nice blazer win that night and uh, everybody can enjoy it together. Let's see. Do we have anything? Oh, you know what we need to say? My goodness. Boogie. I, Shout my out heart to Boogie. That, that sucks. And Andre Roberson. Yeah, there's um, the other one. Both of them ruptured. He, ruptured Achilles I mean, and yeah. ruptured patellar tendon. Like those are not those are not fun injuries. Those uh, are heartbreaking. And yeah. this this Trailblazer community knows how devastating those particular injuries can be when yeah. your stars get them. So um so I they actually they do both. have they do have familiarity with each injury, which is just yeah. awesome. He, I'm not blowing smoke here, Dan. I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just so, think about that. I'm like, who? Ha-? I'm like, oh, never mind. We've had a couple of ruptured patellas, so or ruptured yeah, patellar yeah. tendons, I should say. Yeah. So th- those just, uh, those suck. Them and a total recovery, man. That's just oh, that's just devastating. My, I mean, you know, for whatever boogie, you know, whatever storylines boogie creates, he you never is, want something like that to happen. Yeah. He's a he's a good player. He's a good man who contributes a lot to the community, and I hope he can get back on his feet and, uh, uh, you know, as soon as he can. But wow, what a disappointment. Yeah. It, anyway, it got anything else sucks. you want to say before he takes us out of here? Yeah, of course I have to promote the uh, the good stuff. Um, for those that aren't aware, this will this podcast is just going to come out tomorrow morning on Monday morning. Well, Tuesday evening, while you won't be catching the Blazers broadcast um, on the local feed, it'll be on TNT. You can turn to the local feed on NBC Sports at 7 p.m. to catch the debut of Blazers Outsiders with me, Shane Brennan, and Joe Simons. Uh, would really appreciate everybody coming in, hopping on. If you've got questions, please uh, hop on Twitter, hop on Facebook, go ahead and shoot them our way. Um, this should be fun. Uh, one way or another, So you it'll will be, be able to watch it on TV it and on, TV. on Facebook? I can't, I can't confirm. Starting the, on Tuesday. I can't confirm the Facebook yet. They're still working some details okay. out with regional rights and stuff like that. Facebook's a little wonky with stuff that's on TV, so... Um, I'm still trying to get the exact details, but for certain we are on TV on at 7 PM that, that game night, that is the only game night we will be on as of, I know right now, otherwise we'll be on non game nights at 7 PM on NBC sports Northwest. So you're going to be the lead into the game. Yes, but that only for that Dang, night, Danny, o- that's only for that night. Time. Well, remember that's a TNT game. So we'll be we'll be okay. the local lead in. So if you don't want to watch okay. uh, uh, Chuck and and Shaq and, and the Ernie end and Kenny, of whatever game is before, <laughs> yeah, um, you can hop in and, and and watch with us live. 
So uh, it should be fun. That's awesome. Well, congratulations to you and to uh, Joe and Shane too. Good for you. That's, that's, ex- I'm super excited for you. That's going to be fun to see you up there on the regular TV. Usually I watch you on my little Facebook screen, so it'll be fun to watch you up on the big screen. Yeah, it's going to be really, really happy for you guys. It's going to be, it's going to be really cool. I'm, gonna be, I'm really stoked and I'm already a little bit worried because I, I was shaving the other day or, or doing a little uh, manscaping on the face and I, I took my mustache off. So my, okay. my, my TV appearance will be mustacheless. Okay, never say manscaping again on this show. <laughs> and um, are you like standing in front of the mirror now going, oh my God, my face, my beautiful face. It's how I make my living. Because yeah. so I need to come in there and take you down a few it, notches. It's, it's, this, a, this it's, it's, a car, it's what's one of those uh, circus mirrors that makes me look skinnier. That's what I like to go for. Well, congratulations to you. Uh, if anybody, you know, cares about wine, find me on Twitter. I know I'm not a big star or anything, but people can find yes, me on Twitter are. at You're a star in our hearts. Oh, that's the nicest thing you've ever said to me, Dan. I think I might have cheered up a little bit. <laughs> Tell people how they can find you. Yes, you can find me Besides on Twitter at DMARING, at D-M-A-R-A-N-G. And uh, again, you can find me on Blazers Outsiders on non-game nights at 7 p.m. on NBC Sports Northwest. Thanks for listening, everybody. Whoop! (laughs) All right. Okie dokie. Oh, thank goodness. Okay, cool. Um, Anything else? I got to get going. I got to get ready.